On July 15, 1968, television viewers were introduced to the town of Landview, Pennsylvania, a fictional suburb of Philadelphia. Now, 43 years and nearly six months later, those same television fans are having to say goodbye. After more than 11,000 episodes, today, January 13, 2012, One Life to Live aired its final episode on ABC. Today, it's time to celebrate all the things we love about Landview and One Life to Live, because there's still a whole lot of life left to live. So join us today as we look back at 43 years of memories on a very special edition of Soap Central Live. fans, welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll, and today we are going to be paying tribute to One Life to Live. I'm sure many of you out there agree with me that One Life to Live still had an awful lot of life left in it, and its time on network television was nowhere near done. Hopefully one day we'll be talking about its return, whether it be on a cable channel, the internet, or some other form of entertainment. There are still so many people who are so passionate about One Life to Live, and today we're going to be celebrating that passion. Back in November, I had the distinct privilege of being able to attend the final press junket that ABC held for One Life to Live in its Manhattan studio, and during that time I had the opportunity to speak to much of the cast of One Life to Live and even some of the behind-the-scenes crew members. Today you'll be hearing those interviews You'll also be hearing some clips from memorable episodes of One Life to Live. It's almost impossible to fit 43 years of memories into one single radio program, so we're going to be stretching this out over the course of several weeks. Coming up in February, you'll be hearing more of the interviews with the stars of One Life to Live. There are so many talented actors and actresses that have been working to bring One Life to Live to life for us for 43 years, and they had some amazing things to say. Not all of them will be able to fit in this week's show, so coming up throughout February, you'll be hearing even more of those interviews. But before that, in just two weeks, on January 27th, Soap Central Live will be holding a special edition of our show and taking your phone calls to find out who your favorite characters are, what your favorite storylines were, and what got you hooked on One Life to Live in the first place. We're not going to forget any of our canceled soaps anytime soon. While you're over there thinking of your own personal favorite storylines of all time from One Life to Live, let's take this opportunity to find out what the stars of One Life to Live have chosen as their favorite and most memorable storylines of all time. We'll start off with someone who has literally grown up before our eyes on One Life to Live, Kristen Alderson. She started on One Life to Live as Star Manning when she was just six. I had my first kiss on the show, and it was actually my first kiss in real life, too, so the whole world saw my first kiss. And then um, my first love scene, and Star getting pregnant, and I think that it was a really big deal for 
fans to see Star having a love scene when they've known her since she was like six years old. You know, they've known me. So they look at me as like their little girl, like either their granddaughter or their, you know, their niece or whatever. Um, So we had to really be careful and make sure that it was as tasteful as possible. Be serious. You, uh, you, you, you want me to sleep over tonight? I want us to do more than sleep. I want us to be together, together. Well, uh, I want to be with you more than anything. It'll be perfect this time. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just hear me out. There's nowhere else I'd rather spend my last night than here with you and hope. And then once I go undercover, who knows when I'll be able to see you guys. Okay, right. So call Rachel and give her some excuses to why you can't sleep at the treatment center tonight. Okay, what, what, what about your parents? Your dad said he was strangling me before he let me get in bed with you. I think, um, I think the pregnancy storyline was my favorite. I, um, that whole year, like 2008, I would say it was like my favorite year. Just because, um, Star actually had a nine-month pregnancy, which is very rare in the soap world. Um, and we got to see every thing that she went through from the pregnancy test to her first doctor's appointment, from deciding whether or not to keep, you know, just every single thing, every belly movement, every, like, every feeling. And I felt like I was the most connected to Star that I had ever been. Because I've never been to that situation, but it sort of put me in that situation. Um, and also, I wrote a blog like every Friday um, that was like a 16 year old playing this pregnant 16 year old, and how this I felt wearing a baby's belly, and how it scared me, but I wasn't even pregnant. Um, and then I got to do a lot of interviews in the view, and I went to DC and spoke on a panel. and. Uh, I got to get really close to the fans in that sense as well. You know, a lot of teenage girls wrote into me and what they were going through, and just to like have that discussion it was it was one of the most powerful things that I've ever experienced. For actor Mark Lawson, it was the challenge of a powerful storyline that turned out to be his favorite. I really, really appreciated and enjoyed getting to do the um, the Iraq flashback storyline with the. Uh, the shooting the kid and the, and the PTSD storyline. That's been the crux of the whole Brody character. And for me, that's been the one that still rings true. And that's uh, one of my favorite challenges as an actor on this show is to carry that with me. Because a lot of the time, there's a temptation to drop drop the, his, the history of the character and to just play every storyline fresh. And uh, to me, it's more interesting if you filter everything through your character history. And that's that one's, that rings through everything that happens to Brody. Even in the times when he's peaceful and easy, there's a bit of an uneasiness with him because he's always afraid he could relapse again. So to me, that's been the most fruitful storyline. Chanel Edmonds explains that one of the biggest perks of being on a soap opera is knowing that she's a part of history, something that she and her grandmother used to watch together. My grandma used to watch, like, Bold and Beautiful, Young and Restless, and I would be, like, laying this way, like, Grandma, can we change the channel? And I, I think that's really the only thing I remember. And one thing, I, another thing I do remember is when Reva was blind and she saw the fireworks, and then she came here, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, my grandma loves you, I love you, oh, my God, oh, my God. And getting to meet her, 
like this really bubbly, nice person that's nothing like her character. <laughs> and I was like, since when? Like, what is this? Cause, and then I get to understand, like, how the fans feel. It's like, we know you as Destiny. I knew her as Lima. Then I met Kim Zimmer. And I was like, Fictional love stories aside, some real-life couples have been formed through their work on One Life to Live. One of them is Farrah Fath and Jean-Paul Lavoisier, who share, quite honestly, that the greatest moment for them on One Life to Live was meeting. I think what Jean-Paul and I are going to remember is um, pretty cut and dry. We met. <laughs> we met we and we fell in love. love. So that's our answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... We met our... We met our soulmates. The frenetic pace of putting together a soap opera means that as soon as you've learned your lines for one scene and performed them for the camera, it's time to get ready to do the next day's episode. So sometimes it's hard to remember what you filmed just a matter of a couple of weeks ago. So imagine being on one program for 20, 30, even 40 years. Imagine there's a lot of storylines to have to remember. Take a listen to Hillary B. Smith and Robert S. Woods recalling their first days on the set and realizing that maybe the way they remembered it wasn't quite the way that it happened. Oh, my first day at Nora, I sat around all day. I was the last item. <laughs> and it was one item. And it was a one-way phone call. <laughs> and I was told I couldn't do this play that I was supposed to do. And I sat around. I mean, I literally sat around all day. I think it was like 7.30 at night. And all the producers came out and said, I'm so sorry to get I said, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I did this phone call, and, you know, it was to hang. I'm in Chicago. He's in Landview. And I'm, you know, yelling at him because I want my daughter to come back. And it's the first time you've seen his ex-wife, mother of Rachel. And that was it. But I had sat in the dressing room all day, and um, I sat in Tanya Walker's dressing room. Mm. She had pictures of herself all over the place. So I was fascinated with all these pictures. So that did enter my mind. And Linda Gottlieb came and knocked on the door, and she was the executive producer. She said, whatever you want to do, do it. You have heard much. Just remember, women like us always come off very hard. You must make her feminine and soft at all costs. It's like, okay, and then just go have fun and do what you want to do. The next knock on the door was from Nathan Perdue. So, you're playing my wife, huh? Well, maybe we should talk about this marriage that we have. And I'm not real happy that you screen tested with Bob Woods and not me. After all, you were supposed to be my wife. All right. And I don't think I worked with you for weeks. Oh, yeah, who's that? No, you were in your office window. You were in your office because you just got talked off the ledge. Yes. And you said, you have a dollar? Yes, I said, do you have a dollar? it isn't just that producing a soap is like putting together a different play every day of the week, every week of the year. But even after a while, soap actors will tell you they sort of get the hang of being able to memorize a different script every day. So in 2002, One Life to Live decided to shake things up a little bit and do something that hadn't been done in nearly 20 years. Broadcast a show 
live. And it wasn't just one episode. One Life to Live decided to air an entire week of shows live. At the time, no one was sure quite how it would go. What happened if someone forgot a line? What happened if, as rumored, the cast of another soap decided to run naked in the background of a live broadcast? Well, it turns out none of that happened and it went relatively smoothly. But Eileen Kristen has a little bit of a different perspective. She talks about the adrenaline rush of going live. The live week was unbelievable. It was scary as hell. I mean, it was scary. I, I don't think I've ever been as scared in a way as that. But I think it was so mind-bending. And, and the story that was told, for me personally, of, of, of getting married to, to Jim DePive on the show, we really surprised people. We were kind of a couple steps ahead of the audience on that one which is rare on the soap to be ahead of the audience because that audience is very smart. They're very, very smart. But it was live. And it, was, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts because you'd rehearse the day. Actually, you had much more rehearsal. You actually really were much more familiar with everything, but it was still that you were live and like anything could happen. Uh, so it, it was the adrenaline rush was crazy, and the writers would gather upstairs, I think, and then when the show was over, they would come downstairs and they would applaud. And then you'd relax, and then about half an hour later, you'd get nervous again because then the next day you'd be doing something like that. So that was something. But there's, there's been, everything about the show has been great. And then at one point I fainted, like, because I was so drunk and so, like, dehydrated that I just fainted. Uh, it was so great. You know, I'll never forget my first day of work. Um, well, Erica Slayzak was so... Uh, generous to me that day because I hadn't done a soap in a while and they were just, it, you know, she just was so gracious, so gracious and so generous. And I'll never forget Gary, you know, it went very well and Gary Tomlin coming down and going like, ah, you know, and I could, I could see, you know, he was excited because I don't know how long I was supposed to actually be on the show. I mean, I knew I was going to be on longer than a month. I, I pretty much knew that, but, you know, you never know. They can have you on, and they go, well, that was nice, but next. Uh, but I could tell when Gary came down, he saw all the possibilities of what of what that character could be. He saw it. You know, he saw it, a bunch of other people saw it. So it's, it's been just great. I mean, it's been up and down story-wise, and, you know, I think there have been certain mandates and dictates from the powers that be that haven't always, you know, thrilled me. But, generally speaking, there's been not one script that I've gotten that I've gone like, that's Never. Not one. Not one. Even the love center. Remember the love center? Yeah. Yeah. At first I was like, what? But, but I really loved, I ended up loving that. It isn't just the fans that are entitled to have their opinions about which storylines work and which ones don't. Even the stars have their opinions, as you're about to hear Erica Slezak talk about one of the storylines that she absolutely didn't like. 
and she'll also share her thoughts on some of her storylines over the years that she absolutely enjoyed. And I've told this story before. Um, uh, there was a writer, and I don't remember, I really don't remember who it was, who decided that Vicky could be hypnotized to kill Kevin, her son. And I said, and I actually called up hypnotists and said, can you hypnotize somebody to commit a murder? Especially if somebody that they love? And in the end, she didn't kill Kevin. Um, I had the gun like this one, like this. Uh, and, and I came out of it and went, oh my God, what am I doing? I hated that story. I hated it. Um, there are other stories that we've done that I just hilariously found. Solaramite, do you remember Solaramite? No, you're all too young. Solaramite was an alternate source of energy, and it, uh, it lived in a vein underground and had to be extracted without exposing it to oxygen because if you exposed Solaramite to oxygen, it exploded. There happened to be only one vein of it in the world, and it ran right under landfill, my house. <laughs> and we had a Solaramite extractor, which our prop guys built, and he looked like R2-D2, and they were funny noises. <laughs> it was hilarious, you know, but you had to love it. Eterna, which a lot of people hated. I had a great time. I was underground. We fell, on, fell through a hole in the ground, like Alice in Wonderland, and we came up to a tiny hole in the ground after weeks or months or however long we was there. We had fun down there. They built this unbelievable set in TV One. And it was three stories high, and they had all this earth that they were throwing around when it collapsed. And all the camera people, all the engineers, all the prop guys, everybody the director, everybody wore masks because this was full as earth or something. And none of the actors had it, and every single actor had pneumonia after We had a good time. <laughs> I went to heaven over there, too. I loved that. That was awesome. Um, working with Johnny Fiedler, who was Virgil, my angel, who took me a little too soon, and he got reprimanded because I wasn't quite dead, and yet he took me, and I left my body, and I went to heaven, and then I got to come back. Yeah, I've been to heaven three times. Fortunately, they've all been my friends. At the time of these interviews, the cast and crew of One Life to Live and even the fans did not yet know that One Life to Live would not be moving on to the Internet under Prospect Park. Many of the actors and actresses discussed how they'd like to see their characters' storylines wrap up on ABC, and many discussed what they'd like to see happen for their characters in the future. We know now that there won't be an immediate future for One Life to Live, but of course everyone is optimistic that the show could maybe return at some point down the line. And as you'll hear, many of the actors and actresses of One Life to Live want the show to continue because they know that the fans are not yet done sharing their love with the residents of Landview. Um, you know, we brought, or they brought back, um, Roger Todd, right as we were being canceled, and, um, I was so excited about that possibility of playing out the, uh, Trevor Todd, Roger Todd, and I loved the story, and I think it really brought a lot of focus back to the history of Todd and Blair. Um, the show has not ended. We were, you know, wrapping up in January, so I think the best is yet to come. Um, but I think, I hope that Blair and Todd end up in each other's arms for the ending, because I think that's 
that would be closure for the fans, and I think it would be closure for Blair's that's how Cassie DePaiva wanted to see Blair's storyline wrap up on One Life to Live. For Shana's treasury, though, she wanted to see something a little more spicy. You can call it frivolous, you can call it uh, fulfilling a dream, but there's something that she wasn't able to do on One Life to Live during her short term with the show that she really hoped to see in the future. I want to see her having more of this. <laughs> you know what? My character's had not one, I've not had one love scene, but I'm going to say for Jerry Verdorn, who'd signed on to be a part of the internet-based One Life to Live, he didn't expect there to be much downtime between production on ABC and production for the internet. In fact, he'd said at the time that his wife was already planning what he should be doing during his time off. Not every contract player planned to move to the internet-based version of One Life to Live, but it doesn't mean that they found the end of One Life to Live any less sad. Here, Farah Fath and Jean-Paul Lavoisier talk about how devastating the end of One Life to Live is for the fans. People just associate so much of things that happened in their real life with the, you know, the timeline of events on the show because we're, you know, we, it airs 200 sometimes a year. It's, it's not like a, we don't have seasons. It's just an ongoing thing. There's no repeats. It's the daily. You get people tuned in and watch our daily lives every day or something new, like now, in their life. Something and now new. that it's coming to an end and we're approaching our final day, I think it's really hitting me personally um, about what a big impact. You know, being a part of the show and what a big impact that it, it, it actually is to be on a soap opera and be a part of a soap opera. Um, it becomes such se second nature and it just becomes such a part of our life, our daily routine that, you know, we forget that it really does affect so many people and so many people, um, you know, rely on that one hour every single day. And um, it's getting a little bit sad and I'm feeling nostalgic but um, you know, I'm very, I'm very honored to have been a part of One Life to Live for 10% of its airtime. When you've played a single role for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes some viewers forget that the actor and the character are different people. So imagine playing more than one character on a soap. Imagine playing four. That's one of the dilemmas that Brie Williamson has faced playing several characters on One Life to Live, and sometimes fans forget that she's just one person in real life. You know, there's two different kinds of fans. There are fans that are just like, oh my god, hi, how are you? And they don't really want anything. You know, most of the time they just don't really want. They just want to, like, say hi and thank you, and I watch your show, and it's so exciting, and it's nice to meet you, and that's it. I mean, they always ask me what character I like playing the best, even though I think they already know. Um... And that's pretty much the question that I get the most, is what character do I like playing the best? Or who am I at the moment? Am I Jess, Tess, or Bess, or Wes? And I always say that I'm Brie. 
I started the show, I, you know, I, I was new to the country, I was new to the city, um, I had just finished college, you know, and, and now I'm, like, married and I have a one-year-old, so a lot's changed, so I've learned a lot, I mean, it, it's been amazing, it's been amazing to have this job through, like, through all the things that I've been through in the past eight years, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty great. With the mood tense and a lot of the actors feeling nostalgic and sad about the end of One Life to Live, it didn't stop some of the actors from making some jokes. Here, Josh Kelly and Terry Khan speak about one of their co-stars on One Life to Live who ordinarily doesn't have a lot to say on his own, the porcupine. I'm alone and no one's around and they're, yeah, I do weird you stuff. You talk to your porcupine. <laughs> people do weird things. <laughs> like by themselves. And, and people are goofy and people are talk to themselves. And it's not as crazy as it seems. He was very funny too with the porcupine. Like in between scenes, in between scenes he'd be like, what a prick. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the other thing? Oh, oh, he's ready, quilling and able. <laughs> those, those my, dad, my dad does a lot of fun. People have a tendency to associate soap operas with over-the-top drama, and they sometimes forget that soaps can do comedy, too, especially when you have a talented cast like that of One Life to Live. And it's not just acting. Long before primetime shows were singing and dancing, One Life to Live was doing it first. And some may say that it was doing it better. One Life to Live has also hosted some of the biggest names in pop music today. One of them is even a huge fan of the show who just had to put his own personal spin on the show's theme song. Just in case you didn't know, that was Snoop Dogg with his own twist on the One Life to Live theme song. And why did he do it? Well, it's because he's a huge One Life to Live fan. In fact, he appeared on the show on several different occasions. And it's not just Snoop that's a fan of One Life to Live. The cast and crew of One Life to Live are equally huge fans of his, as you'll hear Kristen Alderson explain how excited she and the rest of her cast were when they found out that Snoop was going to appear on the show. Yeah, it is so much fun. Um, One Life has always been really musical, which is awesome. You know, I'm really into music as well, and um, I like to sing. I like to, you know, see people perform, so it's always a treat when we come into work and they'll say, hey, guess what, Snoop Dogg's going to be on next week. And we're like, what, are you kidding? You know, and basically, like, I've had the pleasure of being in practically all of the scenes that, you know, the musical guests have been on recently. So mm -hmm. I've gotten to meet all of them, and um, Lifehouse was the most recent band that was on the show, and they were all the sweetest guys. They were so cool. So it's just such, we like pinch ourselves every day we come into work and do things like that. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you see these big celebrities that you've known your whole life and, um, and then to hear that they're a fan of you, it's just mind-boggling. You're like, are you kidding me? You know who I am? Um, 
I think one of the coolest moments was when um, Mary J. Blige performed on the show, and she actually performed twice. And the first time she performed, um, when I met her for the first time, she went, Star! and like gave me a big hug, and I was freaking out. I couldn't believe that she knew who I was. <laughs> there were any star-crossed lovers, there was a little something called Babes Behind Bars. We were done. Everyone's supposed to stop when we're done. Can't you get anything right? <laughs> all right, all right. Throughout its 43 years, One Life to Live wasn't afraid to take chances. They weren't afraid to do something new in an effort to lure new viewers and to keep existing viewers happy. One thing, though, that everyone can agree on is that One Life to Live knew how to do drama. Perhaps the best-known scene in One Life to Live history involves a courtroom and actress Judith Light playing Karen Wallach. I am not lying. I came here to see justice done. Vicki Riley didn't kill anybody. Why can't you understand that? The innocence or guilt of Mrs. Riley will be determined by this jury, but not until you have been given all the facts. Now, isn't it a fact that there was a great deal more to your relationship with Marco Dane than you have admitted? Yes, 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 yes! How much more do you do you want, Mr. Galveston? <laughs> Haven't I said what everyone wants to hear? What you want everyone to hear? That I am a common hooker like Katrina Carr? That Marco Dane was my pimp? Is that what you want me to say? What do you want from me? You want blood? You want me to say that I'm lower than the lowest piece of scum? You want more filth? You want more slime? You want more names? I'll give you another name, Calvin Huddleston! He was my first John! He was the first in a string of so many men I don't even remember their names!
Live will be known for many things, but perhaps the greatest gift One Life to Live has given us is one of the best rivalries in soap opera history, the rivalry between Vicky and Dorian. The Dorian and Vicky relationship, I think, is key and core to the story. And when it was at its best, it was always that they were adversaries. Underneath, there may have been uh, other tones and colors, but to stay adversarial, I think, is important. So, undoubtedly, Vicky is the tenth pole of the show, and um, I like to think that even as a drama queen diva, I'm one of the best supporting actresses you could possibly ever get. Okay, because I just think the best thing any um, actor can do is get in there and be a good jazz musician. In real life, though, Erica Slezak and Robin Strasser think very highly of each other and, in fact, would consider themselves friends. I had the opportunity to ask both Emmy-winning actresses what they really think about each other, and you'll get to hear from them both right now. First up is Erica Slezak talking about her friend, Robin Strasser. I wish Robin Strasser had come back. Uh, but Robin chose to leave in, Jan- in June, and it was her choice, unfortunately. Uh, she's had some health issues, I believe. But I miss her terribly. I really, really miss her. Um, there are other people, I, but I just, I'm bad at them. I can't try to pull it out of my head right now. But she's, it's a big hole right now in, this, in the show. And in my my life and in Vicky's life, that Dorian is not here. She's a piece of work, and in the best possible way. I adore that woman. I miss her. With Vicky, because Erica's strengths as an actress are so unique and so specific, I think I'm a a very good foil. That there, I, I just tooted my own horn about that. Because the feelings I have about her, admiring her as an artist, admiring her uh, professionalism, how carefully she has used the um, accrued uh, clout that she has on the show. She uses her influence in the most democratic and uh, fair way. And the bar, uh, the standards are are very, very high because Erica's always bringing an A-game, always. And I think that just um, brings everyone around her that way. I was struck, uh, I was watching, wow, look at all that, that, you know, tone and nuance she's got in the scene with Clint and then, you know, this and that. You know, the, the, the woman is um, um, an artist. So I always felt like when Dorian was being, I hate her, I hate her, I'm jealous, I want what she has, you know, that that that, that was served very well by the fact that I, Robin was pretty much in awe. Whether you call them friends, rivals, or frenemies, I'm not entirely sure that there'll ever be a word to accurately describe the relationship between Vicky and Dorian. They were simply amazing characters whose relationship will never be equaled or matched anywhere else. The same can be said of the equally amazing actresses who have played the parts for so many years. 
So for one last time, cheers. I'm going to wear white as a symbol of my renunciation. And I am only going to do good for others. I rarely see this side of you. I promise you won't tell anyone. I won't tell. I won't tell. I promise. I won't. Another one. Oh, I know you. Yes, of course you know me. From television. You know, your father warned me about you. Father warned you about me? I intend to fight you with every means available. These are the moments to that One Life to Live was the product of the incredibly fertile imagination of legendary writer Agnes Nixon, many soap fans may not know where the inspiration for One Life to Live came from. The idea for One Life to Live came at least in part as a challenge from social activist Saul Alinsky, who challenged those in the entertainment field to use television as a way to shed light on the social injustices and challenges that people were facing at the time. Agnes Nixon seized the moment and took that challenge and said that in creating One Life to Live, she wanted to be socially responsible. She said at the time, thus came into focus the basic mission of One Life to Live, to fashion stories about richly diverse people and their lives intertwined as they interacted with one another, to explain the hopes and hardships, the goals, fights, and failures that are ultimately shared by all mankind, no matter how disparate their lifestyles. 
In its 43 years on the air, One Life to Live has always tackled social issues, even at a time when it wasn't easy to do so. Whether it was bringing the AIDS quilt to Landview during the height of the AIDS epidemic, or tackling the issue of bullying at a time when many young people were taking their own lives, One Life to Live has always forced us to examine ourselves with the hopes of maybe bringing about a better world. And this isn't about me, or about you, or my job, or your opinion of it. It is about the quilt. That's right. And that's one more reason you should resign, because you are responsible for bringing that thing that here. That thing is the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt, and I will not have you refer to it as if it is some rag that was dragged out of the gutter. Well, why not? Isn't that where most of the people that glorify spent their lives? You want to see me get angry? Fine. I am angry. I am angry. I am angry. Cannot you people understand or appreciate where this quilt came from, how it came to be made? People are dying of AIDS, all kinds of people. Babies and children, teenagers, women, old people. Unlike you, AIDS is not prejudiced and not enough is being done to stop this disease. And one man, one man saw the names of the victims of AIDS taped to the wall of a building and one year later, one year later, the first panel was made. A panel not unlike this one. Now there are over 15,000 of well, them. Well, we don't care if there are a million of them on a lazy Susan. Because you had no authority to bring the circus to town, park it on the church lawn without getting permission from the vestry. This time, Reverend, you have gone way too far. That have you, sir. You know, your beloved quilt represents everything that is unacceptable about you. Sexual perversion, subversive behavior, trying to turn our faith into some kind of a statement? Well, any man who preaches that is nothing but a menace for us and especially for our children. I am not that man. And that quilt is nothing of the sort. John Paul and I, you know, we had the bullying storyline with our son, Austin Williams, who plays Shane. And uh, that was at a really crucial time, and um, still is when bullying is such a huge, huge issue in our world today. And, you know, we got the bullying storyline last year, and I thought that was um, our best storyline. I just thought it was so real and so um, uh, relatable. So, yeah, we definitely tackle real issues. Shane, stop, please! We'll find a better way! Just forget it! We love you, Shane! We can't forget it! And we know when people are right under my business. How do you know it's on my page? We looked. When? What did you say? That's private. Private? Shane, you left us a note telling us goodbye. You didn't say where you were going. We just trying to find you. Okay? We really don't want you going anywhere except home with us. We're so sorry. We didn't know what was happening. We're so sorry. Now we can fix it. We can make. We can stop it. How? By coming to school and making a big deal about it? That'll just make things worse. Like, I'm a big baby that needs his parents to protect him. Okay, what would help, Shane? Okay, nothing! There's gotta be something! I tried! I tried being nice to people, but nobody cared. So then I tried ignoring him, but that didn't work either. So I figured... I, I don't know. What? Maybe this would work. Maybe when I'm just a big splat on the front steps. Maybe then they'll care! I'm really proud that we had um, Oliver and Kyle be a gay couple that ended up adopting this child, um, that Robin Strasser did the storyline of the lesbian wedding, you know, um, and that was right before, you know, we 
got gay marriage legalized. So um, I'm I'm very very proud of um, the times and the ways in which One Life to Live has stood up politically, um, and. You know, I, I couldn't be more proud of being part of that that storytelling. I think it's really important. Um, if you can popularize a minority thought, I think that's very powerful, and I think this show has been able to do that. You should feel very proud of yourself. That took a lot of guts. Or stupidity. Probably just made my life even more hellish than it already is. I think you're on the road out of hell. That was the first step. Right now, I'm just so scared. You know, no one's gonna believe me. Not with my reputation. I'm, I'm gonna be the butt of jokes all over Lantano County. And if I'm lucky, maybe one or two people will believe me. And they'll say I got what was coming to me. And they'll be wrong. Because no one, no one deserves to be raped. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done, how much you were drinking. None of that. No one deserves to be raped. You were a victim, a victim of a horrible, horrible crime. You are not the guilty one. But how come that's what I feel like? Going back to Agnes Nixon's original vision for One Life to Live, to to include socially relevant stories which which were not only to be topical or to be provocative but also to really sort of explore the full range of human emotion. I mean how many times can people get married or divorced or have affairs? You need to have the other aspects of life, the political, the social aspects of life mixed in there to sort of, you know, make things seem relevant to the audience and also to make them seem more universal as well. I think that what Agnes was trying to do originally was to provide a dialogue and for and an entree for people to begin to approach subjects that were either taboo or seemed too provocative at the time, but also to create a dialogue within which people can have a greater understanding of not only themselves but the world at large. And isn't that what brings everybody together ultimately? And for 43 years, that's exactly what One Life to Live did. It brought people together. It brought families together. It brought friends together. It brought people together in front of their television sets. Even if it meant at times that they may have been bickering over which couple they preferred. It may be that fan passion that was the most important aspect of One Life to Live. And don't think for a minute that any of that was lost on the stars of One Life to Live. Or they've been grateful every day that they've gone to work for the support and love that the fans have shown them. Now it's their turn to share what they think about the fans. Here are some messages from the stars of One Life to Live about what the viewers mean to them. We wouldn't be here without them, so I, um, all, all I can say is thank you. It's, it's huge, and they love us, and we love them. I'd like to buy them all a drink. Can I come? Absolutely. Okay. You're in everybody's home every day, and that you, the the fans are closer to the soap audience than they are to anything else. And also, I kind of liken it also though to the newscasters. You know, the newscasters have been on the air a long time. Now, when 9/11 happened, you wanted your news from the person who you see every day. And there's a comfort factor, and I, I really feel that 
that's the same thing with soaps. You you have that comfort with them. They're in your home all the time. I think I think that is something a quality that it's going to be gr- greatly missed. I'm so thankful for them. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here for 13 and a half years if it weren't for them. So I love you guys. <laughs> I just got a letter hand delivered to me by a fan. Her name is Vivian, and it was a thank you to to Woodsy and myself because she. Her father had a long-term illness and then died, and the only thing that got her through was watching us. And she, it was about the time that they put us back together again, and she said that it just kept a smile on her face during a time, a very dark time of her life. And I think I get that a lot with the with the yeah, Rowanora relationship. You never know what people, like a lot of times we'll say, come on, Really? <laughs> I'm going to say this? But people actually buy it and, and uh, enjoy it. I am very emotional about all this. And I walked in today thinking, I'm going to be put on, my, put on my strong girl hat and do this because One Life to Live has meant a great deal to me. It's where I met my real-life husband. My pregnancy was written into the story. Um, I've met beautiful people, beautiful friends, friendships that will last me a lifetime, and memories that have filled two lives, Cassie DePiva's life and Blair Kramer. And there are days that I walk out of this building so exhausted. There are days that I walk out so satisfied. But every day I walk out, I am extremely grateful for this opportunity and extremely grateful for our fans that have continued to celebrate what we do every day. And I'm, I'm just very happy and sad. I am enormously grateful for our viewers, for the people who have continued to watch through thick and thin, because you don't like every story, and I understand that, and you don't like everything that happens. But you stuck with us, and I'm so grateful. And the letters, the response that we get um, is more than heartwarming. It is almost a, a validation of what we're doing, that you enjoy it, that you learn from us, that you care about us. It's, uh, it's been a great run. We're very grateful to our audience, and I hope they know that, what they mean to us. I would like to say that I wish I could know, say thank you personally to each one of you, because, you know, at Emmys and large things, people say, hey, Agnes, and, and I love you all. And, but my husband said to me, finally, I was, I was getting letters and I was trying to answer them. And he said, Ag, you can't have 4,000 pen pals. <laughs> I had four children to take care of. And, and so, but, but thank you. you. You've made my life. And uh, I'm so grateful. If anyone is left to wonder why soap fans care so much about their soaps, the fictional characters that they watch five times a week, and the actors that bring them to life, there was no better explanation offered than in the next-to-last episode of One Life to Live. But in this clip written masterfully by Emmy winner Ron Carlovati and the rest of the One Life to Live writing team, it's all quite clear why soap fans love their soaps, and even more so it becomes apparent how much the soap actors and cast and crew think of their fans. But I must tell you that there are times I get so caught up in the show that I find myself wondering the same thing. 
The fans are so loyal, so passionate, and so invested in their stories. I always ask how they started watching Fraternity Row. Some of them were stay-at-home mothers taking a break before their children came home from school. Others were college students with free time between classes. Many of them inherited a love of the show from their parents or their grandparents, who were longtime fans themselves. I remember the first time I tuned into Fraternity Row. I was hooked instantly. I needed to know what would happen next to these fascinating people. Would the hero and the heroine find their way back to true love? Would the villains get their comeuppance? Or would their crimes go unpunished? Would loving families overcome their obstacles? Or would their troubles prove too difficult to surmount? Ultimately, that's what soap opera is about. Families. Close families. Rival families. Even families that are unexpected. Or the ones we choose for ourselves. And when a show is lucky enough to be on the air as long as Fraternity Row has been on, these families become extensions of our own. The audience might be upset when a favorite actor leaves, but they're always willing to welcome a new one, even when that new cast member is quite different than the one being replaced. After all, this is a place where people come back from the dead, go off to grade school in the morning, and come home from high school in the afternoon. Because for every new face, every new couple, every new family, there are long familiar faces. Some who have grown up before our very eyes. And a few more we hope to watch grow up. We know them so well. They've become our friends. We yearn for their happiness, especially when it's hard won. We laugh as they laugh. We cry as they cry. And we can't imagine doing without them. And when things are at their very worst on the show, that's when we seem to enjoy them the most. There's just one thing we have to do to keep them in our lives. Tune in tomorrow. After 43 years, One Life delivers created so many memories. The show means so many different things to so many different people. And I know that it's been impossible to fit all of those memories into one 55-minute radio program. I hope that today's show was at least able to make you remember why you loved One Life to Live. Maybe even make you remember some of the moments that made you laugh and some of the moments that made you cry. It seems just unfathomable to believe that when Monday rolls around, we'll be without our friends in Landview for the first time in so long. And for many, it seems like the rain will never end, that maybe they'll never find the end of that rainbow. There's a little song that I think will help all of us through until we meet again for another edition of Soap Central Live. Here's what you do when you don't find the rainbow today.